You may be seated. Our unison scripture reading today will be taken from Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. This also serves as our sermon text today. Uh, You'll recall as we reached this part of Hebrews 10 last week, we had just spoken of the sacrifice that Christ had made once for all not needing to be repeated time after time as the Old Testament sacrifices were, but his sacrifice made on Calvary's cross that cleansed us from our sin, not needing to be repeated, not needing to be done over and over, but an eternal sacrifice that purchased our eternal forgiveness. Let us, in light of those words, read together today's text, Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word given to us that we might know you, that we might see you more clearly, that we might understand who you are and what you have done for us. Give us eyes to truly see that, eyes that are not blinded by our own sin, but rather eyes that see because you have healed them. Give us ears to hear your gospel, ears that are not deaf, but rather made open, Give us hearts that are not hearts of stone hardened by our sin, but rather hearts of flesh that you have put into us, hearts that are sensitive, hearts that are responsive to your leading. And speak to us now through your word, which is living and active. Change us, mold us, make us more like Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we've all at some point been to a wedding, I'm sure, and and if you've been to a wedding, the odds are you've probably heard uh, 1 Corinthians 13, or at least a portion of that passage. It's a famous passage that speaks of love. It's even referred to by many people as the love passage. And and it makes sense, of course, that at a wedding, uh, people would talk about love and And if you're going to recite a passage of scripture that makes sense that you would go to a passage that deals with love, 
After all, a wedding is a celebration of love, among other things. Uh, but, but one thing that is a little bit off with going to 1 Corinthians 13 is, is as Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about love in that passage, he's not so much talking about the kind of love that exists between a husband and a wife. Oh, oh, for sure, this kind of love ought to exist between a husband and a wife, but it's not merely that kind of love. It's not a romantic love that he's talking about. Rather, he's talking about this, if we look at the larger context of that letter and, and what he's speaking about, he's talking about love within the church, the kind of love that ought to be evident, that ought to be expressed, that ought to be uh, pervasive throughout the church as a whole. And, and saying that, he finishes chapter 13, the love chapter, saying this, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love is vital, he says. It's the greatest of these, but it, it does not stand alone. It, it stands right there with faith and hope. Faith, hope, and love. And in today's text, we see much the same thing. We see the vitality, the importance of love, but we see it standing with faith and hope. Faith, hope, and love together. You recall, as we just said moments ago, the great sacrifice of Christ that Jesus made once for all times has cleansed us of our sin. And against that backdrop, the author of Hebrews says in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, and in saying brethren, he, he just as easily could have said brothers and sisters. That's actually, in the Greek, the, it could be either way. It's not limiting just to males. It's men and women. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, have, having boldness to enter into the holiest. Now, now he's calling on them and, and speaking of the boldness that they have. And we need to understand what he means by boldness, I think. It, it's not just an, an audacity that he's talking about. You know, I, if, if I were to uh, go to the ballpark, you know, go down to, uh, you know, Comerica Park and, and decide, you know, I'm a big baseball fan and, and I'd like to check things out there. So I'm just going to kind of uh, sneak in. You know, and, and I, I snuck past whatever guards and got through whatever door and, and I just kind of ran around on the field a while and went down in the dugout and sat around there and found my way back into the locker room and spent some time. That'd be pretty bold of me to do, right? That's not the kind of boldness he's talking about here. That, that's just being audacious. That, that's having no regard for rules, right? And it's just flaunting them and doing something that you ought not to be doing. What he's talking about is something different. It's much more akin to something I did many years ago. I remember taking Jack uh, when he was a young boy to uh, Bush Stadium in St. Louis and they had stadium tours and they let, let us in. We paid them the money and, and we got a ticket and they brought us in and, and we walked around on the field and we sat down in the dugout and we even got to go back in the locker room. And it wasn't against the rules. We had been given permission to do this. We were actually encouraged. That was actually the purpose for which we were there. And everybody understood this. 
And so we had a certain amount of comfort in doing that. You know, if I snuck in and did all those things I mentioned, I'd be kind of a little nervous. I'd be wavering with fear, right? I might get caught. I might get sent to jail. I could be in a lot of trouble. It'd be kind of embarrassing. But that wasn't the situation at all when we went on the stadium tour. I wasn't at all worried about those things. Why? Because it's where we were supposed to be. We had a confidence. We had a boldness. And that's the kind of boldness that the author is speaking about here. He's talking about a boldness to enter into the the holiest or the holy of holies, into the very presence of a holy God. We have that kind of boldness, not the kind of boldness that says, this is someplace I really shouldn't be, but rather A boldness that says this is exactly where I am supposed to be. I am supposed to come into the presence of this holy God. It's the kind of confidence that we have, you'll recall, back in Hebrews 4. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. God bids us to come to him. Having boldness to enter into the holiest or the holy of holies, the holy places. For us, perhaps, in our current context, we don't realize how wonderful this is. We, we maybe become too familiar with God. We think, well, you know, God, you, know, you see the, the bumper stickers and the t-shirts and all the kind of colloquialisms that are just so, so trite, really. God is my co-pilot. You know, Jesus is my best buddy. You know, and, and we demean the, the immensity of that. We forget what, a, what an amazing thing it is that, that a holy God, perfectly holy, who is to be awed and revered and feared and trembled before, invites us into his presence, ushers us into his presence, demands that in Christ Jesus we come into his presence boldly and confidently, not fearing that he might just strike us dead right there because he sees the sin that is in our lives, but rather confidently and boldly knowing that in Christ Jesus we are washed clean of our sin. And we can come before him with no fear whatsoever. That's what he says here at the end of verse 19. It's because it's by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by a new and living way in which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. You know this, this word new here, it's interesting as you kind of dig into the Greek text a little bit that stands behind this. There's, there's two different words that are normally used for the word new. One is neos, one is kainos. One, one of them means like completely new and different than anything else. Uh, another is more of like a renewed, made something, some old made new. Uh, this word being used here is neither one of those words. It's a completely different word, a word that's not normally used to refer to the term new, but it's a word, uh, prosphatos, that is used specifically for a sacrifice that has been freshly slain. It is a new sacrifice. The animal has just been slaughtered, and its blood is being poured out, even right now at this very moment. That is is the context in which this term is usually used, and it is very much the context in which it is being used here. 
because it is meant by the author of this epistle to remind us of the Lamb who was slain for our sin. He is our new and living way to God. He is Christ Jesus. The only way by which we might come into his presence for Christ Jesus bore the weight of our sin on the cross so we can be forgiven of our sin in him and him alone. That's why we read on that day when he was crucified. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. Now, yesterday, I, we probably saw in the news, most of us, if we didn't feel it ourselves, that there was a, uh, a little earthquake centered over by Kalamazoo. 4.2 on the Richter scale. I was thinking 4.2 in Kalamazoo. Sounds like some kind of slogan or something, doesn't it? They'll be putting up billboards and things. I don't know. But I imagine that's kind of similar to what happened. It was, it was like an earthquake. The, the earth shook, we're told. Fortunately, in Kalamazoo, there wasn't any major damage done. There was some damage done, though, when Jesus died, when the earth shook and the rocks split. We're we're told that there was damage to the veil in the temple, that it was actually torn in two from top to bottom. That veil, which was there specifically to separate God from man. And it was through that veil that man came into the presence of God and only in the person of the high priest and only once a year and only covered by blood and only to make sacrifice for the people. But it was through the blood, through the veil, covered in blood, that mankind entered into the presence of God. And what is being said here is that Jesus is the new veil. That's what Jesus is saying to us here. He says, I am the veil through which you might enter into the presence of God. He is the sacrifice. He is the veil. And he is our high priest. The high priest over the house of God we see in verse 21. He is the high priest over the entire house of God. We are, we are adopted into his household if we trust in him. I had, a, I had a friend in high school who, who had the greatest house. It was a huge house. His family had a lot of money. They were really well to do. And, and they had a basketball court out back with lights and, and plexiglass backboards, full court. It was painted and everything, you know. And uh, the whole thing, down in his basement, they had arcade games. You know, this is back, I'm old enough that this is back before everybody had the cool games on their TV that were cooler than arcade games. But he liked the stand-up arcade games and things. It was just such a neat place. And it was fun to go over to his house. It was, it was fun to, to be able to be there because he had all these entertainments. It was a great place to go. And it was a great family that lived there. They were, they were a wonderful Christian family. And uh, I had another friend. I had another friend who, who came from a background that wasn't as good. Frankly, it was a very difficult background in the Family life was a wreck and actually ended up, ended up leaving his family. And he was on his own. And so, so this first family actually adopted him. They, they took him in and legally adopted him. And though he was not born to that family, they, they at the age of 18, adopted him. He was an adult. He didn't need to be adopted. He didn't, but they brought him in. They said, you need a family 
You need to be a part of a family, and we want you to be a part of our family, and we'll bring you in. And they actually legally adopted him and made him their son. And you know what? After they had made him their son, he, he didn't need to uh, knock on the door to come in to play the video games. He didn't need to ask for permission to go play on the basketball court. He was a son. He was adopted. He was a, a member of the household. See, he, he even had a key. If, if the door was locked, he could just unlock it himself and come in because he was adopted. He was a member of the household. And, and that's what Jesus has done for us if we trust in him. He has made us a member of the household of God. We have access. We are no longer separated And as a result, there are certain things that we should do. You know, as a preacher, you're always looking for what, what is the, the, uh, the, the imperative of this passage. You know, having, having dealt with the indicatives of what is true of us in Christ Jesus, you say, okay, what, what do we do with this? How do we apply this? You know, that's what everybody wants. They want something to, to do. Okay, preacher, you've told me all these things that are true. Now tell me what I'm supposed to do. Give me something to take home from here. And this passage is great for that because there's three different statements in it where the author says, let us do this. Makes it very easy for a preacher to find application when it's just sitting right there. There's these three let us statements. And let's just look at those real briefly. First he says, let us, in verse 22, draw near. Let us draw near. He says we have access to the God of the universe, so let us draw near. How foolish we are to forsake this opportunity. The God of the universe has invited us in, and we oftentimes dilly-dally doing other things and forsake the opportunity we have to come into the very presence of God. Let us draw near. Specifically, he says, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, right? What did we say the first thing there was? Faith, right? And so we see it here again, faith. What kind of faith? A, a, a childlike faith, Jesus says, is what we're supposed to have. Jesus says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What kind of faith is a childlike faith? It's, it's a faith that is fully dependent and fully confident and, and fully trusting. That's the kind of faith that a child has in its parents. And so it is we should have faith like this in God. It's not natural. Our, our hearts tend to doubt, don't they? They tend to doubt. They tend to struggle. They tend to do so because we, we've been betrayed by people before. We've, we've been failed before. And furthermore, we, we know our own hearts, don't we? We know our own brokenness. We know our own sin. And so perhaps we doubt that God could love us as we are because of all the guilt that exists within us. Not guilt as in guilty feelings, but guilt as in legal guilt. We stand convicted. How could God love us? How could he accept us? Our consciences bear witness against us. Well, the reason we can have full assurance of faith, he says in verse 22, is we have hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water. 
He's alluding to something he said just a chapter earlier in Hebrews 9. You recall back in verse 19, he talked about how Moses in the day took the blood of calves and goats with water, blood and water, and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. This was that sacrifice that had to be done repeatedly, this type of thing that had to be done once and, uh, once and again and again and again. But we have been sprinkled and washed by the blood of Christ Jesus. We are made clean, and so we have assurance that our sins are forgiven, not because we have no sin, but because we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ And so let us draw near to God. Let's draw near to him. We we can do that through his word, through studying his word, through reading it, spending time daily reading the word of God. We can do that through sitting under the preaching of the word as you're doing right now. We can do that through, through prayer, through spending time in prayer with God, discussing with him, drawing near in prayer, through through fellowship with one another. We are the body of Christ. And so as we fellowship with one another and gather together and lift up one another and support one another, there is a sense in which we are coming near to God in that, as well as in worship. Right now, as we worship God, as we sing praises to his name, we come near to God, and especially through the sacraments, we again come near to God. Of course, it's not enough to just draw near You know, you can draw near to something and it passes by and it's gone and it's as if it never happened. So there's a second thing he says, let us draw near. And in verse 23, let us hold fast. Draw near and hold fast to what? The confession of our hope without wavering. Faith, hope. Why would we waver? Well, we waver because we're nervous. Because because we don't know if he's really going to come through on what he's promised. I mean, sure, he said he's going to do this. But but is there anyone here, raise your hand, if you've never had somebody make a promise to you that turned out not to be true? I don't see a lot of hands. I won't make you raise your hand on this one, but think about yourself. Have you ever made a promise and it ended up not being true also? I mean, you had every intention of keeping it when you made it. But then circumstances changed. Things happened differently than you expected. Maybe your feelings changed. Maybe you just didn't even mean to and it just, it just happened. And your promise turned out to not be what you thought it was. Well, we don't need to worry about this with God. We don't need to worry about this with God because he who promised is faithful. As the author says in verse 23, he who promised is faithful. Chris played while we were uh, introducing the veteran members. You might have noticed he played, great is thy faithfulness. Because that's what we're celebrating above else, above all else, as we recognize those veteran members, we celebrate the faithfulness of God. In that hymn are these words, there is no shadow of turning with thee. 
And that's who God is. He is the one who has no shadow, no, no hint of turning. It's not just that he doesn't flip-flop all the time. There, there's no chance that he would turn at all. He is completely faithful in every way. And so we can depend upon his word. And we can have hope. Faith. Hope. Just guess what the third thing is. And let us consider, in verse 24, one another in order to stir up love and good works. Have you ever had a friend or a family member, maybe a coworker or a neighbor, who, who just had this incredible knack, this incredible ability to always say the exact right thing to just get under your skin? To just say the thing that annoyed you to no end, the thing that, that just drove you crazy and created anger and discord and frustration. Have you ever known that person? Well, well what, what we're seeing here in Hebrews 10 is a call to be the exact opposite of that. Diametrically opposed. Let us consider how to stir up love and good works. Stir up love. The, the King James Version says to provoke love and good works. Some versions, I think, say spur one another onto love and good works. You, know, you think of a spur. You know, what is a spur? But it's something the cowboy had on, on his boot, right? And he, he'd hit the horse with it you know, to make the horse go faster. It's not comfortable always. Kind of like the Kentucky Derby yesterday, right? The horses, they had, they, as they come down the back stretch, you know, they hit them with a whip. You know, they're, they're spurring them on. They're provoking them to go faster. And so what he's saying here is we need to provoke one another onto love and good deeds. Now, now it can be at times if, if somebody just kind of drops into your life out of nowhere, you don't even know them, and they start spurring you, that's not really helpful. That's just annoying right but if but if it's someone who loves you who you know loves you who you you are a hundred percent confident that they have your best interests at heart now that's a different situation isn't it they have freedom to speak into your life in a different way and so it is that that as we as we speak into one another's lives we see that we, we can do this it's interesting he doesn't just say stir up love and good works. He says, consider how to do this. He says, take some time. Think about it. Pray about it. We should be, we should be considering this. As we consider it, first of all, perhaps it'll stir up love in our own hearts, right? As we're, we're praying for people, uh, we're more likely to be uh, less against them, Perhaps that's one of the reasons why the Lord tells us that we are to pray for our enemies. Perhaps by praying for them, that animosity that exists between us, that tension that it, it will be broken down and our heart's inclination to them will be changed. And We can see how we can stir up love and good deeds in others as well. We have to know them. We have to be with them. And that's why verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is, is the manner of some. You see, he's saying we should be together with one another. Now, usually people take this to mean, you know, you're supposed to come to church. 
don't forsake the assembling of each other. That's just the habit of some. And, and certainly that's one application. I think that's a good thing to come to church. I, believe me, I'm a pastor. I'm not going to tell you not to come to church. But what is meant here is far more than that. It is meant assembling together, not just being uh, an aggregation of people getting together for one hour every week. Rather, it's saying be a congregation. Live with one another, in one another's lives, being a part of each other's lives. Coming not just together for this one hour and not just for other activities, but really being involved in one another's lives and, and having various people in your life who have the freedom to speak into your life that can, that can call you to the carpet when they see you heading in a way you ought not to be sinning or not be going. As they see you in sin, they, they can say, wait a second, Pete, that's not what you want to be doing. Because they are involved in your life, because they are a part of your life, because you are sure of their love, you will allow them to have that freedom to speak in your life. If you don't have the foundation of relationship, like I said, that's not spurring, it's just annoying. But as we do have that relationship, we can exhort one another, as he says here. Exhort one another from a place of love. That's what undergirds it all, right? That's what undergirds it all. We sang earlier, he wills us be a family, diverse yet truly one. That's what God wants of us. Jesus says so in John 13, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. We love with a love because he first loved us and so from love we are to exhort one another and all the more as we see the day approaching that day is the day of christ the day when christ will return or perhaps the day when christ will call us to himself i don't know when that day is you don't know when that day is we won't presume to guess but we will know this it's closer right now than it was yesterday And tomorrow it will be closer yet. It is approaching. And so let us all the more not put off for tomorrow what we can do today. Let us seek out ways. Let us consider how we might exhort one another to love and good works. May we consider how to lovingly do this. May we be spurred ourselves on to love and good works. And may we do so within the context of loving community and family that is supported on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his love for us. For now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, how true this is. The greatest of these is love, and you are the embodiment of love. We thank you for that fact. We thank you that though we were unlovely, you have loved us. We thank you that though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that you have bound us together in one family, diverse yet truly 
one. That you have given us each gifts that we might serve your body and build it up to the glory of your holy name. Not by our own strength, but by your power and through your help. You've been our help throughout the decades past. You are our help today and will be our help tomorrow. And so we rest in that hope, joyfully worshiping you today. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please rise with me now and sing our closing hymn, hymn number 600.